What's up, podcast family? I am Rhonda Davis, and you are listening to the Worthy Pieces podcast. Um, For those of you that are new here, I haven't done a little bit of my introduction in a while. So just a reminder, I am an LCSW who works as a mental health therapist in Utah. I own my private practice where we specialize in trauma, and I'm super passionate about mental health. I love this topic. Obviously, it's what I do for my job, but more than anything, I love normalizing it for people and educating people so they have a greater understanding of what they're going through. I created this podcast with the intention that everybody's pieces to their beautiful puzzle in life matter. And it's with that intention that I want to break down each of those pieces and look at them and have you understand them. Even those pieces that you want to throw away that are maybe broken and bruised and painful, looking at those pieces to gain a greater understanding of how it fits into your puzzle and why it's important in creating that wholesome picture at the end of the day. So I created this podcast to share stories, talk about mental health, to educate you, and more than anything, to normalize all the things that we can't talk about or that we're not talking about. I wanted to create a space to share people's stories and really a space to where we just talk about all the mental health things or all the taboo things that we don't normally talk about. So here it is. Thank you so much for tuning in. Those of you that have been part of this family for the last 10 or 11 episodes, I appreciate you and I know you love and support this and that just means the world to me. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. In today's episode, which again, probably should have been one of my first episodes, but I didn't think about it. Um, after my last couple episodes, I've had a couple of my friends reach out to me wanting more information on how they go about finding a therapist. And this is an important topic. And like I said, one that I should have probably posted in the beginning, but I didn't. And now it's here. So let's just roll with it. Um, so finding a therapist, I will admit, I really believe that is the hardest thing about your therapy experience, even more so when you like dive into the nitty gritty details of your life. Um, finding a therapist, I think it's a, something that we have not talked about. It's something that you, you know, your family probably didn't talk to you about, didn't coach you on. It's something that in school definitely wasn't talked about and the resources have always been there, right? So if you're in college, you've heard about the counseling center or, you know, in high school, you probably had a therapist or a social worker or something like that part of your school, but did you even use them? No, it was kind of frowned upon, especially if you're a teenager, you're not going to therapy. Even more so now, I think any teenager in my office currently that it's a client, they're all resistant to coming to therapy and talking and usually it's their parents' force. So that is the case as well is that people, especially if you're underage, parents set it up for you. Awesome, easy, you don't really care, you don't really want to be there. But if you're an adult, I feel like the resources are harder to find. The information is definitely not accessible or easy to find. Um, And so it's hard. It's hard to find a therapist. And I think so many people still have this taboo image of what a therapist is or should be. And even some in the in the TV shows or movies, you see it. It's like an older person sitting in their chair with their clipboard or their notebook, nodding their head and asking the basic question of, how does that make you feel? And let me tell you, friends, that is not what your therapy experience has to be. Is it still like that? Sure. I'm sure out there some of you are like nodding your head of like, wait, that is my therapist. 
Um, I can tell you, and this part I'm very, very passionate about because this, that was like the sole motivation to why I created a holistic different office is that I didn't want that image, right? Um, and I think a lot of therapists, you'll see that there's kind of like an old age therapist and a newer age therapist. And there's many reasons to that. And I'm going to touch on that in just a moment. But just know that Hollywood image or kind of that societal negative view of what therapy needs to be is not what therapy has to be. Um, You also have so much power and control over finding your therapist. And I know some of you probably don't feel that way because, like I said, finding a therapist is hard, especially since post well, we're still in it, but kind of post-COVID. More people brought awareness to their mental health in the shutdown and over the course of the last couple of years. And so people are actually seeking therapy a lot more. We have seen that in my office where the wait list has skyrocketed and the the amount of resources are is far and few between. So I know that it is hard, but it doesn't have to be. Is and and that's what I want to share today. I want to share some tips, some points, give you some resources to maybe help you along this, but also to give you a little bit more empowerment as you go into these sessions or maybe you're doing a consultation with offices or whatever that may be to give you that guidance to help make this process a little bit easier. Okay, so the first example that I'm going to give to you is if you fall and break your leg, you probably are not going to wake up in the morning and make an appointment with a spine specialist or an optometrist, right? Those are two generalized specialty doctors that are no good for you, right? If you fall and break your leg, you're not going to go get an eye exam. It doesn't make sense. And, And as much as maybe even that example you're like laughing or giggling about of like, why would anybody do that? That's the same mentality I want you to have for finding a therapist, right? Yes, us as therapists are can be seen as like general doctors, right? Just as much as if you were to go to if you were going to go to the emergency room. That doctor has been educated in all the areas it needs to and and give you hopefully all of the proper assessments needed to then send you on your way to that specialist that you need, right? So for example, if you fall and break your leg, you can go to the ER, they're going to do the exam, they're going to give you quote unquote a diagnosis, and then they probably are going to give you referrals for that follow-up doctor. Unfortunately for the mental health field, we don't really have that, again, unless you attempt to end your life and end up at the hospital. But we don't really have a clinic that you can call to say, hey, I'm really struggling with depression or uh, sexual assault or domestic violence situation. What are the best offices for this? right? And so what happens is that you're overwhelmed with, even even if you have the information, you're feeling overwhelmed with where do you begin, where do you look, or where do you go? What are the right offices? So I'm here to tell you that, yes, there are generalized therapists. And those generalized therapists are the offices that can you can maybe sometimes walk in or you can make an appointment and they don't really care who you see right? So when you call and you say, hey, I'd like to make an appointment, they're like, oh, awesome, great. Let's get you put with Sally Smith on Tuesday at four. They don't really give you Sally specialties or preferences or anything that way. They just schedule you. And if you're looking for more of that generalized care, that's going to be appropriate for you, right? It's going to be a best fit for you. However, if you have some a certain symptom or certain diagnosis that you really or that you're aware of and that you really want to work on, then you want to go to the appropriate office, right? So in this example, like my office, we specialize in trauma. So we actually don't take generalized mental health. Um, 
And that's partly because like we, 90% plus of my, the clientele at the office are, are aware or have some understanding of this event happened to me, whether it's been a car accident, whether it's been a natural disaster, a sexual abuse, a rape, a molestation, anything like that. And so people have that awareness. And yes, there are cases where that generalized mental health is is there. So maybe that your that anxiety is just more generalized and it's due to an event from your past, so due to a traumatic experience. And maybe you're not aware of that yet, right? We work with those types of people. If you are a person that's like, oh, you know what? I'm just overwhelmed with school and stress and I need to just figure out a way to get more organized and my anxiety has been increased because of that, we wouldn't be a good office for you, right? That is what we consider more generalized care. It's considered more kind of like basic level mental health, right? And that's where like life coaches out there, you're all branding and and marketing yourself for those. Um, But there are generalized clinics for that. Now, I'm going to preface that also to say, I am aware that, yes, I went to school. I understand the DSM. I, I have had experiences in multiple diagnoses. Um, and, and I probably am going to get flack from this because it's a really interesting conversation in my field because there are some therapists out there that are like, well, don't, don't pigeonhole yourself. I wouldn't say we're pigeonholing ourselves as is we chose our specialty and my staff that I have. We are all really good at what we do right? And if I want to go see a doctor who's really good at what they do, in a way, sure, it's pigeonholing, but not really because we also use a variety of techniques in regards to that one diagnosis. And I think sometimes professionals and people forget that or don't know that. And and in school, they, they kind of push or pressure us into like knowing all of these interventions and, and really being competent with all of the diagnoses. But I'm going to be honest, as a therapist, there are diagnoses that I really do not like working with because it's not my specialty. I'm not good at that clientele. It's a personality trait. It's a preference, however you want to put it. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to work with it. It doesn't mean that just because you have this diagnosis, I'm going to push you out the door. What it means is I'm going to have a very upfront conversation to say, these are your previous symptoms. This is what your diagnosis tells me. This is not my area of specialty. So in that case, this is what I can do for you. Or I can give you a referral to, you know, Sally Smith's office over there who is really good at this diagnosis or really good at this technique. And I think personally, it makes me a stronger therapist for me to have those conversations. Why? Because it is my job to help you succeed and progress in your therapy experience. If I keep you as a client just because, well, just because, but I don't feel comfortable with your diagnosis, maybe I don't feel like comfortable with any of the interventions that I'm using, I potentially am going to do ill harm to you and maybe put you in regression or maybe make the symptoms worse. Chances are it won't because, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to like basic coping skills and basic education that I have. But I am so passionate about everyone can change and everyone deserves that chance to change. Why would I hold you back from that? So I know that not every therapist has that mentality. I know there are a lot of therapists out there that think that, that, you know, when my door is open, I need to just treat anyone that walks in the door. But I tell my staff all the time, if you have a diagnosis that you don't feel comfortable with, like, why are we risking my license or my ethical boundaries for, for this client when a simple referral can make the biggest difference in both of our lives? So my point to this is there are therapists that can do anything and everything 
And then there are some that are more specialized. So when you're finding a therapist, focus on what you want to get out of therapy. That needs to be your first question. What is it that you're struggling with? What is it that you want to achieve in therapy? When you kind of get those answers answered, you're going to find, I think, better approaches to finding a therapist. You're going to be more selective, right? And and I think so many, and we see this all the time, that you don't really know where to start, so what are you going to do? You're going to call your insurances, um, maybe you look up online, and you just kind of take whatever therapist has the soonest availability, which, sure, works, and it may work out in your favor. Um, but I just want you to keep in mind that us therapists – We do have specialties. We do have weaknesses that, again, going back to that mentality, yes, I'm a generalized practitioner that you can walk in and technically I can treat any diagnosis. Yes. Is that going to be appropriate for you in your care? So those are questions you just need to think about. Once you've answered some of those questions and have a greater understanding of what is it that you want to get out of therapy, you then need to start doing your search and ask some questions right? I know that especially after COVID, the the availability for therapists have significantly declined, right? Part of, there's multiple reasons to this and I will give you insight on, I can speak for my office because I, I also want to validate you that like what you're needing and what you're wanting is definitely heard, but there's only so many of us, right? So, We've gotten a lot of th- we've gotten a lot of clients that have called and found themselves very very frustrated that you know we may be like the sixth office that they've called with a wait list, and I get it, like there are people out there that are really struggling that they feel like their only other option is to walk into the hospital and and attempt to end their life that they're coming into you know their last final efforts and motivation to find a therapist and and when you pick up the phone and you start calling that's sometimes the most daunting part and the hardest part is to pick up the phone and say hey I'm looking for a therapist and when you either get rejected by not getting phone calls back not getting emailed back it lessens that motivation then to continue and then let alone when you get to talk to an office staff or someone and they say oh no my wait list is six months long I get it it's discouraging And I will tell you from our side, like it breaks our heart that we can't add one more client on our caseload. Um, So like we hear you and we know that. And that's another reason why I really hope this podcast helps people because there there are ways to make this happen without you just having to walk into the ER and then getting an immediate referral. So as you start looking, know what you're wanting to get out of therapy and then start asking questions. So when you make those phone calls to offices, Pick offices that you have had suggestions from for maybe friends or family or other professionals. Um, And when you call, some therapist office, like we do like a 15-minute consult. That yes, it kind of has to be scheduled within our calendar. So you may not be able to talk to someone that day. But you may be able to talk to someone that week in, you know, a 10-15 minute consult that just gives you a chance to hear a voice, hear what we do, hear what we can offer, and then make your decision, right? I personally like consults because that's my way also to be like, you know what, you're an awesome fit, let's add you to the wait list. Or for me to say, you know what, don't wait the six months, Let's. I can give you referrals, try these offices because they're going to be a better fit for you. Again, being able to give you the most appropriate care for what you're wanting to work on. So looking at offices that you want to work on, that have the focus that you want to work on. And then second part of that is when you're calling, asking a lot of questions, right? 
What are the specialties? If they just say, well, we'll just put you with the first available therapist, know, know kind of what that means. Are your therapists all within the same specialty? Are there different specialties? Is there one that works with specifically, you know, for example, if you're calling in and you're wanting to focus on depression, ask the questions. Are there therapists that specifically love working with depression over others? The office staff should be able to tell you, or if you're talking to the therapist, obviously directly, you should be able to get that feel of of if they're going to be appropriate or not with you. So asking questions in regards to if it's a most appropriate fit for you, right? Remember going back to that broken leg. You're not going to call the eye doctor and go get an eye exam for a broken leg. So asking questions, doing a consult, The other option that we can offer you is, let's say if you're curious about this office, maybe you're on the fence, you're not completely sold, but you you got an appointment within a couple weeks and you're going to go. The first appointment is an assessment. So what that means is, yes, you come and we need, as the clinician, it gives us the greatest chance to understand what you're going through, right? It gives us the an idea of what you're wanting to work on and what you're really going through. A lot of people don't know this, but it's also your chance to come to that first appointment and ask us questions, right? So at the end of it, I at the end of every session that I do, I usually give my clients a chance to say, are there any questions that you have for me? And nine times out of 10, most people say no, but I know that they have anxiety. I know that they have fear and anything you can ask to lessen that and make your experience more comfortable, do it. That first assessment is usually, well, I will say the first assessment is probably your most awkward because as I explain it to clients, I have an hour for you to give me a pretty good insight of what you're going through, what you've been through, and what you want to work on, but yet there are a handful of questions I have to ask just for documentation purposes, so I usually explain it in, I need as much detail as you feel comfortable sharing, but knowing that we're not going to go through, you know, all the, the details of the skeletons in the closet yet. Those are for the upcoming sessions, so I know that the first session is intimidating, and sometimes it can be really, really awkward because we're in a way on a time schedule, right? So if the first one wasn't like your most favorite session, give it a chance. Come with questions. Give it maybe, I usually, my marker is usually by session four. If you don't feel like it's a good fit by session four, have a conversation. And I promise, well, I shouldn't say I promise. There, there shouldn't be therapists out there that take it personally when you come and say, hey, I have some questions. I have some concerns. I don't think this is a good fit for X, Y, and Z. I don't feel comfortable opening up to you for X, Y, and Z, whatever that may be. Um, because it, like in my case, if that happens to me, A, I want your honesty to know how I can either change the sessions or make it more comfortable. B, it gives me a chance to explain something to you that, you know, why, like maybe what I'm noticing or why that barrier hesitation's there. Or C, it's my chance to be like, you know what, I agree. But you know what, I have some offices that I can refer you to that I think you would be a great fit. And I'd be more than willing to contact them sending, no, telling them I'm sending you their way. I know, again, not all offices do that. But in a sense, those are some of the examples that can be done rather than you just not coming back and then starting the process all over because again I know that process is overwhelming so if you find a fit if you find an office that you think is fit for you and then you show up and you're like "Mm, this office isn't for me and then you just stop going chances are you're not going to start the process again for a while until you absolutely need to so ask questions go to the first appointment it's your chance to ask them questions as much as you can 
Now, what are some of the ways you can find a therapist? Um, when friends have asked me this before, obviously, like, I'm biased because I just want to take everyone in and be like, come see my office and my staff, but I can't see everyone. Um, but I can gear them in the right directions. And one of the best ways I tell people to find a therapist is ask your friends or family. Yes, it takes courage. And again, this goes back to the taboo of we don't talk about this. But if you have friends that are in therapy or maybe that they have graduated therapy, ask them questions. I promise you that they, that some people will give you referrals or that they will know people. Um, I think that those are the best referrals that you can give or you can receive because you can have a conversation with that family member or friend to say, what, what did you like about them? What didn't you like about them? In the case like of my clients, I know that my office, we have our caseloads fill up primarily from the word of mouth. Um, and so I know, you know, that if I have a client that especially is graduating or terminating and they liked their experience, they're probably going to tell all of their friends and family to come look into the office. Um, so that's a great way. Um, the other, the other way you can do it is, yeah, call your insurances, but they will give you probably a list of three or four offices saying, oh, these are one of our top referrals, call them, which a, the, the benefit of that is that you know then your insurance should cover a portion of those fees. Um, but the downside in that is that they don't, more more than likely, they don't know anything personal about that re that referral. They just have heard good things or they've sent, you know, 20 clients there this week. So take the referrals and write them down, but then do your own research. Look up the websites, do a phone consult, send it the provider an email if you're able to. Um you're able to ask questions to the insurance. I don't know if all insurances do this, but I know the insurance is sometimes if you call and have a conversation to say, I'm really struggling finding a therapist. Can you help me? Or is there a member advocate that will help me? Your insurance should have a mem member advocate team that will actually make the phone calls to the offices for you. Um, in some cases, they will, you know, if you feel okay disclosing, saying, I want to work on depression, um, you know, I've been having nightmares and flashbacks and panic attacks and they give you, you give them some insight of what you're wanting to work on. They will call the offices themselves to say, Hey, I have a member. She's this age. This is what she's looking for. This is her preferences. Do you have a provider that's going to be fit for her there? And then, you know, it kind of maybe takes the daunting fear from you and that in that case that they get the information for you. Um, another way that you can look up therapy offices or therapists are to just google them right therapists in my area you're going to pull up a generalized list and go through them you know especially if you have um like maybe a mileage restriction that you don't want to drive so many so much so oh my gosh if you don't want to drive so many miles without going to therapy um you're able to do the research that way um I, a more helpful way that I think a lot of people see more success with is actually going to Psychology Today. It's a website. I explain it that it's kind of like a Pinterest page for therapy offices. You can search counselors, therapists, um, prescribers, all within a certain range, mileage range. You can put in based on your insurance filters. You can put on, if you know, again, your certain diagnosis or symptoms that you want to work on. You can filter the list that way and Psychology Today will naturally give you then a list. I think Psychology Day is a lot more personal than, you know, just if you were to Google search it. 
um, you're able to see like a brief summary of the therapist. Usually they will have pictures of themselves or the office. Um, you can do this also if any of you out there are looking for groups. Um, they are hit or miss. Groups are really, really hard sometimes to find. But if you are looking for any specific type of support group, you can do it that way. Um, so I think psychology today is one of the better ways. Um, it gives you a chance that you can look at their website, you can look at pictures, um, and then you can go do your own research, right? You can then Google them, you can read the reviews, whatever that way. Um, but reading their bios, reading their websites, getting a feel. I have so many clients that call just to say like, oh my gosh, I saw your website and it was just different or I heard this on your website or when you put this, I just connected with it and that's the reason why I chose you. All the personal reasons to choose that office, it's going to make it for a better experience for you. Um, and it will also help you feel more confident, hopefully, going into that first appointment, knowing that, yes, it's going to be awkward. Maybe you have anxiety or fear doing it, but it's going to feel, hopefully, a little bit better because you were more educated in choosing the office or that therapist that you found. So in that summary, again, do your research, ask your questions, know what your specialty or somewhat of your specialty you'd like to work with, ask questions, do phone consults, get as much information as you can. When it comes to waitlist, so this is where I'm going to just give you a little insight. Most therapists, especially like I said, going through COVID, had a waitlist, right? R- reminder, us therapists didn't get time off either. We, we went through the shutdown and we still showed up work every day. We had to quickly switch our offices from in-person to all electronic, all telehealth. And so our case numbers, for the most parts, didn't drop off, especially when COVID, as COVID continued, our caseloads remained strong. More and more people needed that support and needed that consistency. And so for us, it wasn't like we had six weeks off, our caseload dropped, and then we came out of the shutdown with, you know, complete open availability. Most of the clients that we saw all throughout COVID still kept their weekly or biweekly appointments. And so it became really, really frustrating for people that were seeking therapy at that point to get told, oh my gosh, I have a wait list. And you get sick of hearing that. I get you. I know that. Um, our wait, My wait list, specifically for the office, we were up to nine months of people waiting. And I am so beyond grateful for the people that stayed on that wait list and waited that long because they're more than likely current clients today that we're all still working with. And yes, as a business owner, that's what makes my business successful. But at the same time, do you know how heartbreaking it is for me to a person knowing that they are struggling, knowing that they are just at their end all give all. And I have to turn around and say, I have a nine month waiting list. It's heartbreaking for me. And I know here in Utah, there are not as many resources that we should have in order to give to people. I tried my hardest to connect with other offices, connect with other therapists, and send referrals to try and get people in as quickly as I could, but I know everyone, for the most part, everyone that I talked to had wait lists, and it's discouraging and it's disappointing you, but I promise from our side, it's just as heartbreaking because as much as we, I wish that we could take and see 40, 50 clients in a week, for us, you don't want a therapist like that either. If I'm burnt out because I have overstacked my caseload, I'm not going to be a good therapist for you. I'm going to be tired. I'm going to be less empathetic. 
my mind is not going to be there. So making sure that like you also have a therapist that isn't burnt out and doesn't have a crazy work-life balance that they feel like you feel like you're just juggled around is important. But I will tell you this, a little bit of insight. If a therapist has a wait list, it probably means that they're a really good fit for, for people. Um, that I know that during COVID and, and as the, like my business was growing, there were other therapists that reached out to me, um, asking for referrals because they didn't have a wait list. And I'm not saying that they're not good, the therapists, um, but just a little insight. If, if an office has a wait list, that's a pretty good sign that they are a good office that has good client rapport or that therapist has something that is very highly offered right? That they're good at what they do. They're helping people heal. They're helping people progress. Um, now I'm not saying that if a therapist or an office doesn't have a wait list, they're a crappy office. Um, what I'm telling you is take that as, take that and use it with your knowledge to say that like, if they have a wait list and you're willing to wait that long, more than likely you're going to get taken care of and it's going to be worth your while. So I guess what I'm trying to say is don't feel discouraged, even though it feels discouraging when you call and get put on that wait list, because more often than not, it's going to end in your benefit. It, it's just something sadly you have to wait for, right? But I know how frustrating and, and discouraging it really, really is to be told you have a nine month wait list. It's frustrating. I get it. Um, another common theme that I think people really struggle with is finding an insurer or finding a therapist that your insurance is covered. And yep, that part sucks. <laughs> There's no way to put it. Um, as a clinician, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. There are insurances that us clinicians would much rather work with than others. Um, whether that's due to rate reimbursement, the ease of dealing with the insurances, there's a handful of things. Um, does that make you a priority less than or a priority on that wait list? Yes and no. Um, in my office, I can tell you that there are only so many licensed clinicians. And so typically what that means is with the certain insurances, they won't cover um, an unlicensed clinician, which means that those clients, if they have that specific insurance that only covers lic licensed clinicians, they have to be seen by me or another licensed clinician. Now, this is the ethical way, right? I will say there are some therapy offices out there that don't care and they're just putting whatever clients with whatever clinician. Awesome. Do you, boo. That's fine for our office. Uh, I'm very particular about following that rule because why? I'm not willing to risk my contracts. So in our case, it's not a matter of like priority of a better insurances or hierarchical rate of insurances. It's a matter of if I'm the only provider that can take a handful of these insurances where my staff can't, those clients I'm going to take first because if you're on that wait list, let's say with another insurance that any clinician can see, I don't need to take you on my caseload, right? You have the option to be seen by the other clinicians. So I wouldn't say necessarily like it's a preference or priority as much as it is for us, like ethical legal duties due to my contracts with the insurance. I hope that makes sense. I know it's kind of confusing. Um, a lot of people don't know that, how it works. Um, when it comes down to coverage, yeah, it sucks if there if you can't find if you're working with some of the smaller insurances or the insurances that don't take on as many 
clinicians, then yeah, the chances of you finding a therapist is not only going to be harder, but the wait lists are probably going to be longer and it's frustrating. Um, The advice I can give you is really when you're signing up for your insurances, if mental health and going to therapy is a priority for you, then take that into consideration when you're signing up for the insurances because sadly that's just a fact of how it is. Um, There's a lot of therapy offices that would much rather do self-pay. So most of the most of the providers that are on the insurances are either ones that they've had the contract forever, they're new to the mental health field, and they're just gaining contracts. Um, or in like my case, I know that I've dropped some insurances before because it just wasn't worth both time and money for us to deal with. Um, so like fact of the matter is I know it's frustrating, but you're also in control of your insurance. So look into that if it's a priority for you when you're signing up for coverage. Um, or, or, you know, like weigh your options when you're picking that insurance plan. Um, the mo, I would say 95% of the insurances now, especially post COVID or post pandemic cover mental health services, right? Before COVID it was hit or miss on what insurances or what chosen plans covered mental health at all. So that has changed a little bit, but that is something to keep in your back pocket too when you're picking your insurance plans, making sure that they have or you have some type of mental health coverage. This looks different per plan, not per insurance, but per plan. So for example, you can have two select health plans that maybe you have and maybe your sister has what you think is an identical plan. Maybe her plan covers mental health at 100%, meaning she doesn't have a copay or deductible, whereas your your insurance plan or your chosen plan only has like 25 visits. After that 25 visits, they may not pay, so meaning the insurance may not pay, which re- results in you, patient responsibility, paying for those costs. So a lot of people don't un- understand the insurance world. I hear you. But again, ask questions to your insurances. Um, Most of the time, if the therapy office you're going to has an office manager, they should be able to explain these to you. Um, But look at your plans, have your knowledge, and, and understand that before choosing that office, ultimately it comes down to if my office isn't covered with your insurance and you choose to come here, you're going to be paying out of pocket. It's just those facts of adulting that we all bitch about and we all hate. I wish there were ways to change it, but it just is far and few between. Um, As far as other resources, yeah, there's a lot of offices that take cash pay. So if you don't even want to do your insurance, cash pay is an option. Um, we, We get this a lot that like rates are really expensive. I will, every rates is different. I will tell you that the office gets to choose their rates. So there is higher end care um, that results in sometimes like 180 plus dollars per hour that's expensive. And it, you know, I'm not going to speak to that other than to say that like that's just chosen rates. But I will say like there is a variety of ranges that you can choose from if you're looking for a cash pocket. And that would be something that as you do your therapy research, you just need to take in consideration. Some offices do um, like so many discounted sessions. Some offices don't do any discounted rate, things like that. So you're also able to call offices and ask them how their price breakdown works and if they're able to give any discounts or um, like supplementary sessions. 
Another option that you can look into are looking at the state-funded or nonprofit offices that typically are larger offices who have more clinicians working for them. So they're able to do discounted rates because of grants or because of investors or things like that. Um, and they're able usually to have a higher amount of clinicians working for them so that you'll be able to get in probably sooner than later. Um, there, I, I think it's per state, but there are some states state-specific resources that also are offered um, for certain qualifications, like, for example, if you're a student or wanting to go back to school or um, have previous criminal charges, there's certain things like that that the state also offers um, that they will grant you so many sessions to use for for free therapy with the intention of trying to put your life back together or get back on your feet. So there are some resources available, um, but yeah, I know that that's one big thing is cost. And like I said, do your research. Um, That is something, again, going back to my example of the psychology today, you're able to look at their cash rates or what the price breakdown is to give you a general idea. I will say, and don't quote me on this, but from what I know, the standard going rate for therapy is anywhere from about $130 up to about $200 per hour. Yes, it's expensive, um, but you also have to figure like if it's worth it and you're prioritizing or if you're able to have family help you, if you're able to use your HSA, there are ways to make it work and, and just know that just like medical, like it's an investment. And as silly as that sounds, I get it and I hear you. Um, But I promise you, if you find a good therapist and you make progress, it really is worth the investment to change and adapt and learn coping skills. Then to me, hopefully the goal is too that you're not going to be in therapy lifelong. Yes, there are some offices and therapists that make you feel like you're just never going to get out of therapy. That is not my intention, and I hope that there's other professionals out there listening. The intention should never be to keep your clients in therapy and to look at them just as they're a price tag. The goal should be you give them the skills, you give them the resources, you help them progress so you're able to set free and learn the skills and adapt it into your normal life and make it functional rather than feeling just broken and dysfunctional with no hope. Okay, so in complete summary, Ask your questions, do your research, and find the therapist that you feel is going to be the best fit for you. Don't be afraid of the wait list. Um, ask questions. And, and as long as you feel comfortable, at the end of the day, that's what matters. Find the therapist that you feel comfortable with, that you can see yourself making the most progress with. So I hope this gives you some better insight in finding a therapist. I hope that it was maybe able to answer some of your questions and in hopes that you can find a therapist that will be perfect for you and that you feel the happiest, most safe with. If there are any follow-up questions with this, please send me an email um, and let me know because I would love to help you along the journey or, or make this process easier for you. Um, Psychology Today, I can put the link in the description. That is a website that you can use, I think, nation, maybe worldwide, um, in finding prescribers, therapists, whatever you need that way. So I hope it helps. Good luck finding a therapist and stay well, friends. Mm-hmm.